0: Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast. We are a Bible-based church located in Peterborough, Canada, and together we are on a mission to reach people who are far from Christ and see them become devoted followers of Jesus. The past 18 months can be likened to a storm that has thoroughly disrupted our plans, our progress, and our relationships in ways we do not yet fully comprehend. As the storm subsides, we begin to ask questions like, what's been lost? Who's still with me? and where do I go from here? Join us over the next three weeks as we think through these questions and carefully uncover some of the ancient traps that Satan will use to keep us stuck in the aftermath of the past. With that, let's turn it over to Pastor Nathan with part one of his series, After the Storm.
1: Good morning, everybody. Great to see you here today. Great to see you. Welcome to those online. Today, I'm kicking off a brand new series called After the Storm after the storm. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have actually lived through a storm? All right, a few, few, few nods, a few winks. I'm not talking about a snowstorm or a rainstorm. I'm not talking about an emotional storm. Some of you experienced one of those this morning. I'm talking about the kind of storm where you grab your family, your friends, your pet, your house plants, and you go to the basement, and you hunker down for the night and pray you make it through till the morning. Now, my guess is, because we live in Ontario, you know, that most people in this room and most watching online probably haven't experienced a storm of that intensity, a hurricane, a tornado, something of that nature. But it does on occasion happen. I got a a picture here of a storm that went through Barry recently. It was a tornado, and you can see the damage from the storm is quite severe. There's a couple houses that are actually missing their roofs. Cars have been moved around. It's pretty serious. And I want you to imagine with me that you were there... And as the storm finally passes and the weather subsides, you emerge from your basement or your bunker or whatever you got, and you go outside, and what do you do? You begin to assess the damage that was done to your property. And I can imagine standing on the street looking at your house and going, oh my gosh, where's our roof? Where's our garden shed? Where's our umbrella and our patio furniture? There's holes in the siding, windows are broken, stuff is damaged. So you can see a lot of damage. Now, after a storm passes, the thing you do is you assess the damage, you grieve the loss, and you start to rebuild and repair. Would you agree? Yeah. That's the normal thing that we would do, is we would look at it and we say, okay, something needs to get fixed. I would like to make the argument today that the last 18 months or so have been a storm of a different kind. And I'm not suggesting today that it's all over, like, you know, the weather's gone, everything's perfect now, we're back to normal. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is... Damage has happened. Loss has occurred for all of us in different ways. And if it was a natural storm that destroyed our house, we would never think of just moving on without repairing the damage, would we? But there is a temptation for all of us to look at what's happened and go, well, that just happened, and we're just going to move on from it. There's a temptation for us to just, to just kind of go, okay, that happened. Now... Um, As I've been talking to people in our church, what I've discovered is that a lot of people have been through a lot of things in the last 18 months. Talking to some people who had a parent, a grandparent, a loved one in the hospital they weren't able to visit in their dying days. How do you recover from that? Talk to grandparents who had a grandchild and they were so excited about the birth of this grandchild and then they couldn't see them because it was a lockdown. How do you measure and weigh things like that? Teenagers who didn't get to go to their grad or didn't get to go to their big ceremonies. Kids whose sports careers were on a certain trajectory and everything shifted. And, and those of us who've lost income and shut down businesses and had family feuds of epic proportions. And we go, this has been a storm. But there's damage done, but we can't see it. So unlike a, a natural storm where you see the damage, in this case, we don't get to see the damage. And the temptation for us would be just to move on. I think that slide will up, but let's look at it. Temptation to move on and ignore the loss. Just look around and be like, that happened. This is what we'll be tempted to do after the storm. This is what we'll be tempted to do in this season. But let me give you this example. How many of you, if your roof got ripped off by a storm, six months later would be sitting in your living room with no roof, and the rain is pouring in, and your kids are going, "Uh, Mom, Dad, what are we going to do with this leaky roof? And you say, oh, no, that's just the new normal. I am so sick of hearing the phrase, the new normal. Okay? Wearing a ski mask into a bank should never be normal. Okay? Uh, Not hugging anyone outside your household for six months, that's not normal. And I get it, I get it. When they say new normal, they're like, we're going to work from home more. Great. We're going to use Zoom communication, video conferencing more instead of traveling. Okay. But there are some things that are not normal that I think we'd all rather move forward from. But the point is this if we fail to acknowledge the loss of the season we've been in, If we fail to acknowledge the damage that has happened through the storm that is the pandemic, all the damage that has been done gets carried with us into our future. And we'd never, ever leave our house in pieces. So, why would we just move on without taking time to heal and repair? Over the next uh, three weeks, what I want to do is I want to talk about some natural responses that we all have because we're humans. And these are natural responses so that after a storm, like during the storm, everyone just hunkers down and they're like, we're going to survive this. And you do. You survive it. After the storm is when the real work begins. After the storm is when the blisters. After the storm, the conversations. After the storm is when the real work begins. And I want to talk about three human responses that will actually destroy any hope that we have of healing and progressing from where we're at. What I want to talk about today is the subject of blame. Everybody say blame. Yeah, you say it like you don't like it, but you actually enjoy it. Okay. A few days ago, I was, I was saying goodnight to my 13-year-old son, Nathaniel. And I said, son, have a good sleep. We prayed. And he said, dad, what are you preaching about Sunday? I said, I'm preaching about blame. And he's like, on Thanksgiving? I thought, good point, son. Uh, but here's what you need to understand Blame is actually antithetical to gratitude and thanksgiving. It's impossible to be grateful for what others have done for you, what God and others have done for you, when you're blaming God and others for what they didn't do for you. Blame is the opposite. Blame actually blocks thanksgiving. It blocks gratitude, and it blocks progress, and it blocks healing. Blame, as we're going to find out today, is actually no good for anything, and yet it's the most natural response in the world for all of us. See, blame focuses on how others have harmed you, where gratitude focuses on how others have helped you. It's the exact opposite. And so perhaps today, if you're having a hard time being grateful, there's a blame problem, perhaps. And perhaps by moving beyond, the and that's the title of my message today, is Beyond Blame, because I think that's where we want to get to. We want to get to the other side of it, where we're no longer blaming, and there we can be grateful and thankful. So the first thing I want to tell you about blame is this, that blame is natural. It's natural. It is, you don't have to be taught how to do this. It comes so naturally. I want to turn really briefly to Genesis chapter 3. And many of you know this story. It's the story of the fall. So God makes the first man, his name's Adam, and he makes Adam a wife, and her name's Eve. So you have Adam and Eve. They're perfect, they're sinless, they're living in the garden, they can do whatever they want, they're walking with God, they're in perfect communion with God, there's no sickness, no disease. It's pretty good, right? God gives them one rule. Don't eat from that tree. And of course, if you know the story, Eve's standing by that tree, I guess. And Satan comes in the form of a serpent and says to her, did God really say don't eat that? Yep, that's what he said, for sure. That's what he said. And what he does is he twists the truth. He says, God said not to eat it because it would harm you and you would die. But I think God actually wants to keep something good from you. If you eat it, you'll be like him. And he's actually keeping you from something good. This lie continues to this day. How many of us haven't thought at some point, God says not to do that, but he just doesn't want me to have fun. God says not to do that, but I know that if I do that, it'll work out really well for me. Never does. That's the lie. And Eve, as you know, takes this fruit and eats the fruit. And apparently her husband, you can read all about it. Genesis three. Apparently her husband, Adam is standing right there listening to the conversation, watching her eat it. It's like, let's see what happens to her. If she dies, I won't eat it. Like, I don't know what he was thinking, Right. But he's watching her eat it. And then she turns and she hands the fruit to him and he eats it. And the scripture tells us that immediately they recognized they were naked. Something that they had had was now gone. And in their nakedness, they they took leaves and they covered themselves, right? They made clothes out of leaves and they start hiding from God. That's where I want to pick things up, okay? Because next week we're going to talk about how one of our natural responses is to hide from God and others. You're going to love it. Today, let's focus on blame. They're hiding. God comes to find them. And here's, let's look at verse 11. Uh, God says this, have you, he's talking to Adam, he talks to the man first, have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Now, how many of you know this is a yes or no answer? <laughs> so many times I've asked my kids something I'm like, have you? And they're like, ah, and it's okay. Have you eaten of the tree that I command you not to eat? Let's look at his answer. The woman, the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Now, I want you to think about this is actually incredible because he is not a professional sinner like you and I. We were born with sin. And from the time we were little, it's like, who smashed the vase? Billy, Susie. Like, it was just like we've had years of practice. Adam and Eve just sinned for the first time. And he's already a professional blamer. Did you eat the fruit, Adam? She did it. He, he points at his wife. What a scoundrel. And then he says this. He says, the woman you gave me. Go back, go back, go back. The woman you gave me. Now, this is what psychologists call projection. Fancy word. It's like, not only did the, my wife give me the fruit, but you gave me the wife who gave me the fruit. So you're also to blame. He's pointing at his wife and he's pointing at God. This guy's a masterful blamer on day one so are you and I. It's so natural. It's so easy. For some of you are thinking, what a scoundrel, that man. Let's see what he says to the woman. He says, he says to the woman, what is this that you have done? Once again, simple question. And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So in this very first encounter with blame and sin, here's what we discover. The man blames another person and he blames God, and then Eve blames the devil. That's pretty much got all our bases covered, doesn't it? Isn't that whose fault it is? It's my wife's fault. It's my brother's fault. It's my parents' fault. It's the government's fault. It's God's fault. It's Satan's fault. We got them all covered right there. So natural. So simple. So straightforward, but not helpful. Now, you might think, well, that's just an ancient biblical story about sin. Well, let me tell you a story from my own life. Not so long ago, a couple weeks back, uh, during the night, someone broke into our van. It was parked in our our driveway, driveway. And we assume it was a homeless person because there were some things of value in there they just ignored. And they just took cash and coins and things that they could use really easily. Uh, So we assume that. Uh, Come out in the morning. My wife goes to leave for work and she walks out and she opens the door to our van and she sees all the contents from the glove box spilled on the floor in the seat. Now, she does not assume that someone broke into our van and searched it. She marches into the house and says, Nathan, what did you do to my van? And I'm, the thing that's going through my mind is like, your van? I'm stuck over there. So, Our van? Um so I go out and I and she opens the door and I look inside and she's like, Why would you and I said, I didn't do that. I said somebody broke into our vehicle. And I reached in behind the passenger seat, there's a pocket, and I reached in because the day before we had found money in there. It was my son's birthday money. And I reached into that pocket and that cash is gone. It was at least twenty dollars. It's gone. And I look and all the change for coffee, it's gone. Card, Tim Hortons card's gone. Everything's gone of value, right? They left the lighter for us, so that was on the seat. But I'm and I, and I thought for a second, and I thought, wait a minute. We went out last night. I went in the house, and you stayed in the van. I was like, you didn't lock the door. <laughs> so in a span of two minutes, my wife has blamed me for terrorizing the van. I have blamed her for not locking the van. But then we start projecting. This, this is what comes next. On her way to work, she sees a person standing on the side of the road, disheveled with a can, asking for money. And her initial thought is, that person broke into my van. That person stole my kid's birthday money, right? And she tells me about this later. And I said, honey, listen, I'm sure it wasn't that person. Besides, it's not a homeless person's fault. It's the government's fault. And I start, hey, let's talk about the problem. So the fault is to be found everywhere but here. And blame, it just comes so, so naturally. But here's the thing. Blame didn't fix the fact that, you know, $30 or $40 was stolen. Didn't, didn't fix that. Didn't help anything. Blame didn't do anything. And what I think happens is we get caught in this cycle, this natural cycle of just pointing the finger and blaming others for what we've lost, for the damage that's been done, and nothing changes. Nothing gets fixed. Absolutely nothing. And I think sometimes we miss the damage that's truly done. That night as I was uh, going to bed, it was late. It was like 11 o'clock. My wife's already asleep. And my 10-year-old daughter, Nora, comes walking into our room. She should have been asleep a long time ago. And she comes in, and she's looking distraught, and she says, Dad, I can't sleep. And I said, well, why, honey? She said, I'm afraid someone's going to break into our house. Aha. See, what needed to happen was not find the person at fault and blame and fix the money. What needed to happen was we needed to grieve that loss and talk about it and figure out how to move forward, right? And I think this pandemic is teaching us some lessons like that. That it's easy to go, to go around and try to find fault and try to find blame. Like who caused it? Was it bats? Was it pangolins? Was it a lab leak? Was it some, you know, ploy to take over the world? Does it matter? Even if you could figure it out, does it matter? And the question is, there's been loss and damage for all of us. What do we do with it? And I guarantee you the one thing that won't help is blame. So I've been thinking about this a fair bit. And, and I want to I just talk to you for briefly about the difference between fault and blame. Because there is a difference. Alright, so let's, let's look at this. Fault is, really fault asks this question. Who is responsible? Who's at fault? And, uh, you know, there's something inside of us that wants justice, right? And so when somebody does something wrong, they should pay for it. That we all agree. Um, it, you know, sometimes figuring out who's at fault is really easy. If you, you're driving your car and you stop at a stop sign and someone hits you from behind, they're at fault. The police agree, the insurance agrees, they're at fault. But there are so many things in life that are way more complicated than a simple black and white who's at fault. Would you agree with that? When two people have been in a relationship or been in business for 10 years, hurting each other over and over again, deceiving each other over, whose fault is it when things go sideways? See, fault becomes very, and when we can't figure out who's at fault, we start to not ask who's responsible, we start to blame, which essentially says, you are responsible. You see the difference? One of them is a quest to figure out who's at fault. Sometimes that's helpful, often it's not. But the other is you assigning the responsibility to somebody else. This is blame and blame isn't helpful because responsibility is a great thing if someone takes it, but not if it's assigned to them, right? If someone hurts you and you go, you're responsible for hurting me. And they go, I don't care. Did that fix anything? Did that help you? No, it made it worse. But if they say, I'm going to take responsibility for what I did to you. And I'm going to try to make it right and try to mend fences. And I'm going to apologize. and I'm, That's helpful. So what do we do when we can't find fault? Or when someone won't take responsibility, we blame. Which is what we do is we assign responsibility. So I want to turn to John chapter 9. It's an amazing text. It's a very short conversation that Jesus and his disciples have. And John chapter 9 verse 1 says this. As he, Jesus, passed by... He saw a man blind from birth. When you see something, it means your attention and focus have been drawn to it, right? Jesus sees the blind man. I think that we forget sometimes that God is all-seeing. God sees everything. And we think, that can't be, because if he saw bad people, he would stop them. If he saw me in my suffering, he would come and help me. And we think that he doesn't see, but he does see. And so what we do is we blame God for not doing what we expect him to do. And then we start blaming other people for not doing what we expect them to do. But God sees. Now, Jesus, his attention goes to a man who's blind from birth. And the emphasis here is on the fact that this man had never seen out of his eyes a day in his life. And Jesus is taking note of him. His attention is turned towards him. And focus and attention are a really, really interesting thing to me. Because what you focus on changes everything. We talked about this earlier. You can focus on the things that others have done to help you and it produces gratitude. Or, as I said, you can focus on the things that people did to harm you and it can produce hatred, anger, bitterness, resentment. And the only thing that's changed is what you're focusing on. And here, in this case, Jesus is focusing on the the situation. He's focused on the circumstance. He's, He's focused on the condition of the man. But you know what the disciples are focused on? The cause of the illness. They don't care about the guy. They want to know why the guy is where he is. Have you ever noticed? Have you ever noticed? Yeah, leave that there. Uh, Have you ever noticed that when we look at other people, it's so easy to judge why they are where they are? Right? You look at your brother in law, you look at your parents, you look at the guy you work with, or the girl you work with, and you go, I know exactly why you're struggling. As if you've got them figured out. You don't even know what's going on in your life, you don't even know how you got where you are, but you're like, oh, I got them figured out. We're experts at what everybody else is doing. So the disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Now, they rightly make one assumption that sin is the cause of sickness and death. After Adam and Eve sinned, as we talked about earlier, the ground became cursed, the, the people became cursed, Satan was cursed, and death and sickness and illness and struggle and toil enter into the world. So we live now in a broken world, marred by sin, Bad things happen. Storms come. Where they make a mistake is they make a mistake in thinking that everything is cause and effect. Can you imagine how simple life would be if that every bad thing that happened to you, you caused it? Then you'd be able to self-identify and know what's going on and fix things. But life isn't like that. Storms blow in on good people and bad people. When you're doing the right thing, things go bad. When you're doing the wrong thing, sometimes things go right. Like, what's that all about? They made a real assumption to say, look, we know that sin is the ultimate cause of sickness. So is it his sin or is it his parents' sin that caused him to be born blind? In other words, they could say this, Rabbi, who is responsible, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Responsibility. Let's think about this. Who's, is, it the, is it the blind guy's fault that he's blind? Or did his parents do some terrible thing that resulted in his blindness? Now, I want to talk for just a second about the upside of blame. Here it is. Because there is an upside. The upside of blame is this. Blame assigns responsibility to somebody else. And the reason that's an upside is because if you assign the responsibility to somebody else, you are now no longer responsible. It's your fault. You did this. You're the cause. And and here's the beauty. For the disciples... If their assumption is correct that this blind man did something to become blind or that his parents did something that was atrocious for him to become blind, they have zero responsibility for his condition. Think about this. If somebody commits armed robbery and they go to jail, do you feel compassion for him or her? No. Let's be honest. It's probably him. Okay. You don't feel because they are getting exactly what they deserve. So the fact that these people assume, the disciples assume that this guy or his parents did something wrong, this man was suffering for good reason, we don't even have to feel compassion that he's blind. Isn't that ugly? But that's the upside of blame. It moves the responsibility somewhere else. But the downside is connected. Notice this. The downside of blame is that blame robs us of our ability to move forward. Think about this. If your response able... If you're the one who's able to respond and fix the situation, then I am not response-able. You you tracking with me? My parents, they abandoned me. My parents didn't do what they should have done. They failed me. Therefore, I'm going to be a failure the rest of my life because they are response-able and only they can fix. No. When you make someone else responsible using blame, you take away the power that you have to change and move forward. To rather than saying, I'm going to be a failure because of what someone else did to me. No, I am going to follow Christ. I am going to live a better way. I am going to move forward in faith. And you can't do that if you push the responsibility to someone else. Maybe your spouse is 95% of the problem. And I think all of us think the spouse is 95% of the problem. The boss is the problem. The coworker is the problem. The, the other person is the problem. Maybe they are 95% at fault. But when you blame and you put the responsibility on them, guess what? You limit your ability to move forward. You can't fix a marriage if it's all their fault. You can't fix the culture at your work if only your boss has the power to do something about it. And so blame really doesn't help. It actually, blame hinders us from moving forward and doing anything of any use. Rabbi, who is responsible? Who is responsible? The disciples think they know. They've got it all figured out. We all think we've got it figured out. We're always trying to find the cause of everything. Have you noticed this? Literally, um, my wife and I um, experienced a a miscarriage many years ago. It was one of the saddest days of our life. And I think it was the next day someone, a well-meaning Christian, called us and asked if we'd been tithing or not. The inference was, if you were giving enough at church, God would have protected you. I've literally talked to people in this church who have gone through grief, lost a loved one, lost a child. The worst moments in time when what they needed was somebody to grieve with them and to put their arm around them and love them no matter what. And instead they were like, hey, why didn't you have enough faith? It's ugly. When we're so focused on finding fault, we're so focused on assigning blame, we do more damage to ourselves and others. I hope I'm making a case today for not playing the blame game. not projecting onto others the responsibility of everything. I call it the blame thrower. You know, we do that. So, Jesus' answer. They're making assumptions. It's this guy's sin or his parents. Here's what Jesus says. I love this. Jesus says, it was not that this man sinned or his parents. Jesus literally says, you guys are so wrong. You're trying to hit the bullseye. You're throwing the dart at the wrong wall. You guys, you guys have he literally stops the accusers in their track. Because that's exactly what they were doing. They were accusing the blind man or his parents of sin. And Jesus stops the accuser. Do you know who is the accuser? The accuser? Anybody know? Shout it out. Satan. The devil is called the accuser of the brethren. Do you know what the devil does best? He points his fingers. And he says, you're to blame. You're at fault. And often we are, so it rings true. You've messed up this marriage. You've messed up your kids. You've messed up your life. There's nothing to redeem. And he points his fingers and he accuses and he accuses and he accuses. This is what he does. And you know what? When we pick up our fingers and start pointing at others and blaming others for everything that's going on, we're joining forces with our enemy to tear down instead of to build up. Jesus stops the accusers in their tracks. I wonder when he said this whether the blind man heard it. I'm pretty sure if you've been blind from birth, your ears are highly tuned machines. And Jesus hears the disciples, or sorry, the man, the blind man hears the disciples. Is this guy's sin or his parents? And he probably sunk in his seat going, huh, here we go again. And Jesus says, it wasn't this man or his parents. I wonder if that sparked hope inside of him. And I think there's someone here today, there's somebody watching online that needs to hear today that you're not to blame, that, that there is hope for the future. There's a better tomorrow because of Christ. And, and here's the thing. For most of us, as we're pointing the fingers at others, inside we're wondering whether we're the problem. Whether we really deserve what we're facing. Whether the loss is really our fault. Anybody, am I the only person that's like, <laughs> pointing at others? And this man hears the words of Jesus now. Notice what Jesus says next. He says this. He says, it's not that he sinned, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now there, Some people, there are two theological trains. Let me just make a little diversion here one group says god caused him to be blind so that he could heal him and get glory maybe the other theological camp says sin came into the world broken fallen humanity this guy's born blind and 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 now jesus is going to heal him so whichever one whichever camp you find yourself in that's fine here's what i want you to see god is going to take the brokenness of this man jesus is going to take his blindness and he's going to heal him and he's going to turn his life around and give him a different future and while the disciples, like us, are focused on this guy's past, Jesus is laser-beam focused on his future. And if you read the rest of the story, which we don't have time to do this morning, Jesus spits on the ground, which is weird. And he makes mud. <laughs> I'm glad you agree. He makes mud with his fingers, and he takes the mud and he smears it into this man's eyes, <laughs> which actually makes the situation worse. Now you're blind and humiliated. And then he tells the man, go, he's blind, you know, go and wash your eyes in the pool of Siloam. He's stumbling off in the dark to find the pool. It doesn't say anybody helped him, but he goes. He takes a step forward, even though he doesn't understand, even though it doesn't make sense. And when he washes his eyes in the pool, his eyes are open for the first time. And as you might imagine, he celebrates. He goes to tell all of his disabled friends about what Jesus has done for him. And his life is changed and many other lives are changed. God works through broken people. If we understood that, we wouldn't be so quick to hide our brokenness. To be inauthentic because we're trying to preserve the persona that we've got it together. Rather, we discover that that in my weakness, his strength is made perfect. That he uses my failures and my weaknesses and yours and turns them around. He continues to say this. Verse 4, he says, but he said... Now next verse We must work the works of him who sent me while it is still day. This is Jesus, okay? Right before he heals the guy. Night is coming when no one can work. Jesus is like, I got stuff to do. I got to heal this guy. I got to change this guy's future. There's work to be done. Next verse, he goes on to say this, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus is like, I didn't come to point fingers. I didn't come to assign fault or blame. I came to heal. I came to open blind eyes. I came to love. I came to give my life a ransom for many. I came to give, not to assign blame. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty thankful that that's the case. There's another story I want to just quickly allude to. It's found in John chapter 8. And I'll close on this because I want to make a point here. In John chapter 8, Jesus, these religious leaders, they catch a woman... Who is in adultery. So they catch her, she's clothes are off, it's a bad situation. They drag her out, she's probably covered in a house coat, right? They drag her out into the street and they throw her at the feet of Jesus and they pick up stones to kill her because the law of Moses said that if you were an adulterer, if you were caught in a, in a, in a sexual act with someone who wasn't your, your husband or wife, you were to be stoned. And so they put her there and they're like, the law says she's guilty and we caught her. Like this isn't a he said, she said, we caught her. And they pick up their stones. And they're about to cast those stones in judgment upon her. And Jesus says this. Let him who is without sin. Another way we could say this. Let him who is blameless. Without blame. Without fault. Among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Let him who is without blame. He's like, if none of you have ever sinned. If none of you have ever been at fault, then you go ahead and throw the first rock. And there they stand, holding their rocks and considering their sin. You know what the text tells us? The text tells us that um, they began to drop their stones one by one, starting with the oldest. See, old people have perspective. All the old people said, amen. (laughs) Old people have perspective. I have perspective now at my age that I didn't have when I was 30. I thought I knew what I was doing as a parent when I was 30. Now I'm like, "Ah, I don't know. I hope it works. And your kids, they grow up and then they point at you and they start blaming you for all the things you should have done or didn't do right. And the only consolation you have is that one day they grow up and have kids and their kids will stand and do the same thing. And you go, "Ah, welcome to the club. Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. It's like, did none of them condemn you? She says, no, Lord. Then neither do I condemn you go from now on and sin no more go and live a different life because of what i'm doing for you right now Now when I whenever I read this story I'm always struck by the fact that jesus was the only person who had the right to throw a stone Because he was the only one without sin. He was the only blameless one He was the only one who could have executed the law with a clear conscience to take her life And he chose not to and the reason why he chose not to is because he didn't come to blame he didn't come to point fingers John 3, 17, everybody reads John 3, 16. John 3, 17 says that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through his son, we might be saved. The world might be saved through him. I'm so thankful, guys. Today is Thanksgiving. I don't want to be somebody who's pointing the fingers at you or my family or anyone else. I don't want to be someone assigning responsibility and blame to everyone else. I don't want to be pointing the fingers because I am so grateful today. That Jesus didn't point his finger at my sinful heart and say, you're going to pay. That instead of pointing at you and pointing at me, he spread his arms wide open on the cross. And what he did is instead of assigning responsibility to us, he took responsibility for our sin. The weight of our sin was upon his body. The punishment, the stripes in his back, the thorns in his head, he took it upon himself. And in so doing, he ended... The eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. And here's the most beautiful thing. God has called us. Christ has called us to follow him and to do likewise. Someone might be saying, thinking, well, this is great. It's not not very deep. Let's go deeper, pastor. Like, until we stop blaming and pointing fingers, there's nothing deeper than that. And what Christ has done for us May we receive His love, His forgiveness in spite of what we've done and then turn and do the same for others. I know that there are people here who have had horrible things done to you. People have left you. People have walked out on you. People have harmed you. People haven't done what they should have done. But here's what I want you to know. You can forgive. You can heal. You can take responsibility not for what will happen to you but for what comes next. And Christ has made it possible for us to live a different way. So would you join me as we pray a prayer this morning? Father, thank you for the example of Christ. Today, as we think about the subject of blame, in a time like this where things are so heated, when people are so broken, when there's so much harm, when each of us has been damaged and hurt and in disrepair, that in this season we would not turn to blame, but that today we would begin to change our focus from what everyone hasn't done, from what people have done to us, to what you have done for us. And how we might live differently because of it. I pray, Father, that we would leave this place not just thankful for what you've done, but extending grace and forgiveness to those around us. Help us to take responsibility back. Lord, if there's anyone in this place on Thanksgiving who has never received you into their life and and made you their Lord, I pray that they would not leave this place without saying, God, come into my life. Lead me, guide me. I receive your forgiveness and love. In Jesus' name.
0: Thanks so much for joining us on this episode of our podcast. Please make sure to visit our quick links. If you want prayer or care, please visit pathwaylife.com forward slash care. You can also visit our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash pathway life and Instagram forward slash pathway life church. Have a great week. and We look forward to seeing you soon.